so and I heard this uh, from Dothitarian, so take it as you will. Oh boy. Uh, so a grasshopper walks into a bar, and the bartender says, Oh my god, we have a drink named after you. And the grasshopper goes, You got a drink called Steve? <laughs> I get it, because the grasshopper's name was Steve. His name was Steve. All right, guys, gotta go. Yep. Oh, man, he's good guy. to have around. He's, I'm glad he's, he's here. so funny. He's, he's so, so funny. funny. Anyway, so let's do an intro. I'm Doug. I'm Ryan. And, and we is, are. No, we are not. This is. Oh, we yeah, this is. Be. You say it. Two weeks Two weeks from, from everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> we both said I made you say it with me, a nerd. <laughs> hey, speaking of Steve, um... What's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? The letters. <laughs> one's really heavy and one's a little lighter. I love that so much. <laughs> I love that so much. What do you get when you cross a hippo, uh, an elephant, and a rhino? Hell if I know. Thanks, Kylo. At my hand. When I lean forward like this, it's just nothing but forehead. Look at that. It's just I all mean, forehead. It's just like a first off, guys. Let me tattoo the doom forehead. Now what Ryan has is like a four head with some fractions, <laughs> like some it's higher, like the, four the and three quarter Jetland waist right there. <laughs> Jetland waist. <laughs> That's old Lake Recede right there. <laughs> Very beautiful this time of year, especially Very when you beautiful. lean forward with the Cairo uh, dragon. So you'll be happy. I did a new outline. I will say I'm happy with myself. I did. I had programmed five posts. Uh, uh, three of which worked, one of which showed up on my art page, and then the fifth one just in the ether. <laughs> so, so I did the work. It just, like at one point, my wife goes, why did you post something about the podcast on your art page? And I go, I didn't. And I looked, I was like, yeah, it was for sure like the Oh Brother trailer from like 08 or 01 or something. I was like, fuck. And then I couldn't figure out how to get the post to the thing, so. Posting without context, it's fine. Posting without context is fine. So I did, and I have an outline. I've got all sorts of stuff here, so and you um, also have a sleeping, lightly sleeping baby. So who knows how much of that outline we'll get, get through. I also know there's a cat upstairs who never plays with anything, who right now has picked the loudest toys to pull out of the toy box and is just rolling around and I'm mm. going to fucking murder him. Yeah. And then next podcast, I'm going to have a little like cat skin with his head, much like they used to do tigers back in the day, because I'm going to fucking kill him. <laughs> and PETA can, can suck Listen, my wiener. I'm going to murder my cat. I have you considered me this? Have you Not having cats, I have, but you no, can't kill have animals. Have you considered this? Have you considered that the reason the cat is playing with the loud toys because when you leave the room, a small gremlin crawls out from under your baseboard, gets up on the baby's chest, starts sucking the breath out of the baby. The cat is the last line of defense because you're not in the room. Have you considered that? No, dude. We had not considered that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because my youngest would eat a little troll thing. That troll little... stands zero chance against my fucking toddler. And that's not like a conjecture. I'm not making shit up. Hands down, you would have to get like a level five goblin wizard. And then maybe then would I say, maybe then would I say that that has a chance of beating my child. Uh, so anyway, Collins, um, I, I so last week I had in like a like a nerd news or not last week, week before. Uh, in, in like two lifestyle weeks, two weeks from and, and two weeks from everywhere. Uh, so uh, I, I want to do a thing uh, as a as an additive to what we do where I want to interview dads, right? Like I want to have dad reviews, but like different dads who do like you do different things. I don't need to interview you because I know, I you don't know, matter. Uh, 
So, but like I have, I have dads who stream. Uh, well, I'm not going to fucking, you know, you said it, not me. So. <laughs> uh, um, but I have dads who like work construction that own, and I'm just going to like do like 10 minute interviews, 10 questions. Um, so I thought I, it would be a good idea to practice. Uh, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to record these on discord. That way I can just send them to you and you can plug them in, put them at the end, do whatever you want to do. Where, and that way it doesn't disrupt like our regular, regularly scheduled program. So uh, what I did, and you'll appreciate this because I'm going to ask you these 10 questions as a dad, as a musician, as, mm. as, a, as a working man, except for this is me talking to Ryan Collins, the author. Oh, boy. And what I have done was I asked chat GPT to give me <laughs> 10 questions to ask a first time author <clears throat> who really wants to get a book released. So okay. I have 10 questions for you for before we get into because I have more stuff here written down that we can get into these but are so ai generated these are ai generated questions <laughs> so every time i'm gonna go hey this guy works construction he's a dad give me 10 questions to ask him that people would want to know so here we go and we could do this and about talk like a pirate and talk or, like a pirate well, september 18th uh, uh <laughs> so uh so this will be this will be originally i was gonna do it like let you do it about any book but i want to do it about the book that i'm currently like three or four chapters into right now Gotcha. Right. Which is the book that I think so far as I've read is probably your most heartfelt and probably your best written. I appreciate that. Like I've, cause I, I mean, I read heroes in, as a matter of fact, I probably still have that copy that, that, that I was supposed to give back to you fucking 20 years ago. <laughs> like I still have a binder filled with heroes somewhere. I think oh, I, I see it behind you on that bookshelf. That Maybe. would be awesome. No, <laughs> Wouldn't that be no hilarious? Binders. That'd be fucking like, oh my god! You know what it is back there, though. Uh, there's definitely the uh, Big Lebowski screenplay back there oh, for well, sure. So, which is what we'll read next week with just two hours yeah. of us reading the movie. Um, so here we go. Uh, well, uh, name and the project that you're working on. Uh, it's called All Fantastic Images, but I'm not in love with the title. So, so I'll explain really the title. It right no, away. no, no. I'll explain the title. So. Uh, the theme of the book is all about uh, like w the images that we project versus the 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 truth that's beneath the image that we project, um, and also all of the chapter height. And maybe this is a spoiler. You know, exclusive to two weeks. Oh, Here we go, guys. Uh, We're so into all it. the all the chapter titles uh, are actually either song titles or lyrics, bad religion lyrics. So. Oh. Uh, the the title all fantastic images is a deep cut from uh, a lesser respected bad religion album so <laughs> which album uh that would be no substance actually oh yeah which thematically links up with uh with my book so nailed it self-deprecation nailed it <laughs> um so let me ask you this so what inspired you to write this book so uh, there's a movie, there's a great movie uh, called In Bruges with oh Colin God. Farrell. Uh, and yeah. and uh, fucking Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, Brendan Gleeson. Who yes. are also, sorry to pause, this is a Doug and Ryan two weeks from everywhere thing, which we'll touch on later, are in the, what is it, the, the Banshees of Isharine right now? Yeah. And yeah, oh yeah. my fucking God. Anyway, continue. So, so In, in Bruges, Bruges. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's about these two like hitmen that are walking around Bruges in Belgium. Yeah. And uh, one of the, the sort of elder hitman is like really into being in Bruges and he's got the travel guide and all this other stuff. The Colin Farrell character is like, he's, he's like high strung and he's bored out of his mind and you know, his mind is everywhere else. 
So I was listening to the DVD commentary years back, and uh, the writer director of the film said that basically when he was wa- himself was walking through Bruges, he was equal parts fascinated and bored out of his mind, right? So <laughs> yeah. he basically just took those that character himself and split it into two different characters and then, you know, developed a plot around that. So uh, the, the story that my book is basically the main character is, <laughs> is me split in two. So there's one <laughs> character who uh, I feel like um, is, is me at my best, and the main character is me at my worst. So there you go. And uh, and what do you hope that like, people get out of this uh, this duality of man, if you will, sir? So uh, it's I hope it's funny. Yeah. I hope people read it and it's funny. And so I far, hope. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hope. Listen, I, I hope not do that because if you were a normal person who wasn't my best friend, <laughs> that would be bad. So I'm going to take I, that back. It was I, I, I hope. No, I can take feedback. It's good. Uh, so <laughs> that was uh, not feedback. Just sort of no, uh, <laughs> I hope I hope you get a laugh out of it. And another thing is all of my favorite books and stories, they raise questions that they don't answer. And that was sort of my, uh, thematically, I mean, and that was sort of my, my, my goal in this book was to raise questions about identity, about reality, about truth, about subjectivity, objectivity, but not actually answer any of those because it's not up to me to answer those. It's up to you reading it to answer them. So. Yeah. So, so let's, let's roll with that. And, and, and if that's what you're shooting for, if that, that, that's like, so how do you personally get into writing, like your writing processes, not just like, oh, I sit down in X amount of words, but like, like, what do you do to like, go, this is how I, I would love for people to engage these characters when they read them. Like, is there something you do while you're writing? Like, do you try to read it back to yourself? Or is there like something you personally do to, to try to like come at it from a reader's perspective. Yeah. So dialogue is incredibly important to me. Uh, that, that sounds natural, especially when it's trying to be funny. Right. But dialogue on screen is totally different than dialogue on the written page. So you do have to read it back to yourself. Otherwise, uh, you put in too many dialogue tags or you put in too much or too little interiority and all that other kind of stuff. But it's also, it is a book. So speaking of interiority, you don't want it to just be a screenplay that's just dialogue, right? You want, there's got to be interiority there. There's got to be more than just stage directions. So, uh, so that's, you know, reading that back. Um, One of the things that I think every author would say or writer would say that they have trouble with is knowing one, you, you want to, it's like being a good DM, right? You don't, (laughs) you don't want to lead the party by the nose, but you also want to give them enough to know which what's direction. going on and yeah, which yeah. direction is probably best. Right. So my story is built off the bones. I like to say of a murder mystery, much like the big Lebowski is built off the bones of a murder mystery, except it's a rug and not a person. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Right? So like the question of, you know, who done it is sort of driving the plot. But it's not just like in the Big Lebowski. It's not important <laughs> it has, if he gets his rug back. Yeah, yeah. It's not like we we don't ever care if he gets his rug back. It's secondary, right? I but, mean, to be fair though, that rug really tied the room did together. Tie the room together, <laughs> right? So in this, like, so there is a murder, uh, and you know, you you I do want you asking, like, you know, could they have done it? Could they have done it? But it's more important, like, what the main character is going through. 
to figure that out. And by the time that you get to the end, um, you may or may not get an answer to that. Spoiler, you do get an answer to that. But, uh, <laughs> but, but what's more, but you hopefully, my, my objective is hopefully by the time you find that out, it's not important anymore. It's more, other things have taken up what's like, it's more important by the time we figure out if Bunny has kidnapped herself, like it's more important. Like all these other things have come up to figure out that, that we're asking is, is more important than whether what happened to Bunny. Like we don't give a shit about what happened to Bunny by the time we get, by the time we find out that she just was with her friends in Pasadena or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Like we don't care anymore. It's more about like what's going on with the dude. So yeah, that's my goal. So, and then what, like, what challenges do you face? Did you face like while writing your book? Like what overall though, because like I, I'm a creative too. And I think I'm more of an ADHD creative. Like you are a very focused creative. You have a couple of outlets. You love those outlets wholeheartedly. You love music. You love writing. Like it's, it's, it's there. I'm of a weird brain where like, I saw you playing music and I was like, fuck man, I love guitar, but you know how far I learned guitar. I learned guitar just enough to be able to play guitar. And then my brain went, the rest of that's all work. And I'm not into it. Like just enough to be. And I do the same with writing the, the, the best and worst compliment I've ever gotten about. Like, cause I've written, I've written a six part comic book series. I've written tons of things and the best and worst compliment is the exact same thing. And I think it was for my sister and for my wife on different occasions said the same thing about the way I write. And they said, you write the way people think in their brain. And from my wife, it was a compliment. And from my sister, it was, it was, it was, it was constructive criticism because she goes, I need to process. And the way you write doesn't allow me to process. It makes me think that direction. Mm. So the way I write seems to be a lot of, because I am such like, I love lyrics. I love dialogue. Like my wife, Hey, any don't like in Bruges or this ghost of the, the band. She's a Visharine. Like it's just two Irish guys talking fucking for hours Give me what? What's his name? Robert Altman. Give me a Robert Altman film with two old British dudes talking to each other for three hours, and I'm fucking <laughs> sold. But my wife is not that. Like I just love like dialogue, and I love that stuff. So so when I try to write, I push everything heavy on what the characters are saying and doing instead of like the story to me is the outline. I want everybody to like, and I also want to be like, you look how funny I can write funny jokey jokes and stuff. You know what I mean? So. So it's always inspiring, especially when I read the stuff you do or even like watching you play guitar last night or this morning when I was watching, I was like, it's just effortless. This dickhead is just effortless. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. You know it's funny. I, my bass player said this very similar thing to me last night to my face. He, was, he? Like, this, he was like, this fucking guy still practices. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was saying. Like, uh, so what's the biggest challenge? I think was the, was the question. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah. But everything that you just said, uh, is is a major challenge, but uh, I think one of the things that like I feel like I'm plagued by that that you are not right, or maybe you are, and you just hide it really well. So you know, we'll confess, we'll we'll figure out the truth now. Let's but, get into it. Um, so let's say that I sit down for a writing session and I write for two or three hours. Yeah, roughly every five minutes, I will lean back look at my screen and say, no one will fucking care about any of this. No one will ever care about like, why am I doing this? No one will ever care when I'm writing a song, when I'm struggling over the thing that's hardest for me, ironically is is song lyrics. Right. 
Yeah. So when I'm doing that kind of stuff, and this plagued me, you know, full confession here, this plagued me throughout the pub uglies because I just felt like no, no one will care. No one will care about anything that I have to say or anything that I'm doing right now. And I have to sort of like push through that now. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> like, um, but as far as like the, the, the sort of commitment, it's like, I, it's the same trick when I say who's going to care Right. The answer is, well, I do. Yep. So I was going to, I was, so I've got to, no one else will do this unless I do it. And at least one person on this planet will want to read this book or listen to this song. And that's me. So that's, that's enough. That's enough for me to do it. And then five minutes later, I have to remind myself of that all over again. Here's what I tell myself because I, you know me, I do a ton of random art and, and and I try a ton of things. I just wrote a punk rock song I sent you in an instant. I have six verses to that song. It's <laughs> ultimately too long for a punk rock song. I wrote four other songs based on the idea behind that song. And I wrote them in a day because it was interesting at the time. And now I sit here and go, fuck, now I got to guitar licks and record it and send it to Ryan, who's already busy, who doesn't have time for this shit. And I got another guy named Mike, you know, Mike, Mike Burris. I'm sure you've met Mikey back in the day. Who I go check who's getting into punk rock again and and I sent him this and he goes, Hey dude, look what I did yesterday. Cause you inspired me. And he fucking had recorded bass lines to yuck. No yums. <laughs> like just went, here you go. And I was like, well, I'll fucking, yeah. So like, <laughs> let's do it. So here's what I do. Here's what I, and I, I just told this to my sister. Here's exactly what I do when I'm making art. And I have those moments of self-doubt, which I am the worst person in the world to ask about this because I suffer from two very, very, very big problems. And that is, I'm probably the biggest self-doubter and self-deprecating person on this world. You know what I mean? Like, I'll joke, I'm such a horrible fat piece of shit and this and that, but I'm also fucking brimming with self-confidence. So the ability (laughs) to be trapped in that tornado (laughs) is a fucking pair. The the ability to get anything done for me sometimes I think is a marvel because I am both of those things. That I will go, who on fucking earth would want to look at a painting of fucking whatever this is. You know what I mean? I just painted like a glass vial of bones that I got off of Etsy. I just thought it was cool. So I painted it. And then one part of my brain, I'm going, who the fuck would ever want to care about this thing? And then in a second later, I go, fuck, I would fuck everybody. I'm in. It's for me. So this is what I told my sister who's, who's trying to start this creative thing is I go, there are 7 billion people on this planet. If you capture 0.1% of their interest or 0.01% of their interest, You've literally a lifetime of people who will follow you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just look at Ohio where we live. There's 70 million people in Ohio. Grab 1% of of 70 million. You have yourself a following. We used to live in a world where TV shows needed 30 million viewers to be important. And now if the show captures 1.5, it's considered a hit Mm -hmm. because there's so much content. You don't have to grab the audience. You just have to grab a audience. So that's a very important lesson from 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 Doug and Ryan here at Two Weeks from Everywhere is, and it's for us too. But you really you don't have to find an audience; you just have to find your audience. And guess what? If your audience is ten very dedicated people who live in Wisconsin and Australia, then fucking a, you have a worldwide audience who just clamors for your shit, and that's fucking amazing. So, yeah, there's this idea of. The thousand true fans, right? That that's a lot it. of indie authors talk about. Like, if you have a thousand true fans, I mean, that's a, it's okay. So we throw numbers around like that a lot. Like, you know, uh, like you were just saying, 7 billion people uh, on the planet. But like, think about a thousand people. Yeah. And, you know, if you had to 
put a thousand people in a space that were there to see you do something. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Listen, I stream on Twitch sometimes and, and my highest I think I've ever had is like a hundred people. And, and normally it's like 15, 20 people. And in my brain, I go, if these people were in my backyard, it's a fucking party. Yeah. It's not a few people getting together to do it. It's a party. So even capturing, listen, I have regular clients who buy shit off my Etsy shop once a month. It's, you know, usually only 10 or 15 bucks, but guess what? They're regular customers. They buy shit every month. They always like it when I put new stuff out. And you want to, you really want to look at, you go look at all these influencers on TikTok, on Instagram, millions of followers. And then you look at the amount of likes and comments because none of those are in the tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. There are a thousand and under, even if it's 5,000 likes, you have 2.8 million followers and you get a thousand likes. That's the engagement ratio. Think about that. 2,000 to 1.5 or 2 million is a good ratio. So if you have a hundred followers and 10 people like everything you post, motherfucker, you got a following. It's not a, listen, a number game is enough. That's just serotonin to try to make you feel better. If you look at it from the perspective of I have 10, which is what Ryan's saying. I have 10 real people who are engaged, not a thousand arbitrary numbered people, but 10 people who constantly comment, constantly are engaged and are genuinely into what you're doing. You have a following. And it doesn't take long if you keep doing your shit, which I'm very bad at keeping up on, that that those people will get other people. And then you have a whole fucking group. So you can't that's get down why we have always. thousands and thousands of listeners to this podcast. Listen, I just looked the other day. We've done something like 70 podcasts. Yeah. 70 is a, a great a number. Wait, is that 70 since the, the it's rebirth? Since the beginning of time. No, <laughs> this is since the, since the. I mean, we only had like name. eight. We only had like eight episodes original episodes right we have been i will say we have definitely been drastically more consistent this and i think it's because there was no expectation you and i got back into this yeah. going we talk anyway we might as well fucking record it and guess what i don't know i know a few people listen i know we have we have uh we have a joffrey mailman mailman who <laughs> listens every week i know uh, there are tons me, of people mailman mick mailman mailman mail well i didn't want to get racist about it but i guess collins does <laughs> you know he blows uh, so anyway, what um, what do you consider to be the most important part of the story, Collins? Uh, for sure, it's uh, so there's always this um, I, I call it a triangle, right? Between yeah. um, and and all authors, I think balance, especially depending on what what genre you write in, but they all have to balance in this triangle. And I write in books and such. You've got you've got <laughs> you've got character, you've got story or plot, and you've got theme. Yeah. Um, and in theme, I think you could. Uh, okay. Maybe there's, maybe it's a square because you've also got, <laughs> you've also got language too. But for the moment, let's just talk about the, 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 the triangle because for me, you've got your characters, which is like, like I said, like if the story is about what this character is learning and what this character is going through, um, then, then you have a much richer story. And then you have uh, your story, which is your plot. And that is, you know, this happens and this happens and that happens. Right. Right. Um, and some authors like that's the most important thing. Like if you think about mystery writers, like, you know, that that's what's important is what happens next. Right. And then you've got theme, which the best stories connect all three. Right. All of right. my favorite stories, they connect all three. So. 
at the risk of bringing up one of your favorite directors, uh, if you look at a movie, that, I use this because it's such an easy example, not because I think it's the the pinnacle of this, yeah, uh, yeah. of this um, triangle. I just think it's very easy to to sort of uh, illustrate what I'm talking about. Here. So <clears throat> if you think of Batman Begins, yeah, right. So that the 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 character is Bruce Wayne. Everything he's going through and suffering through to sort of become who he is, right? So the scene where uh, Rachel smacks him in the car because he has the gun, right? Because he couldn't realize his vengeance right then is just as important as the scene where he's fighting Rachel Ghoul on the train, right? Yeah. Because, because they're, they're both about him overcoming something, right? But then the story is, well, this happens, you know, his parents get killed and then he can't realize his vengeance. So he goes and walks the earth to try to figure out how he can realize his vengeance and all that. And then learns that, no, it's actually more about justice and all this other stuff. So that's the story. Uh, But then the theme is fear. Because that whole movie is about fear. You've got Scarecrow. You've got Rachel Ghoul talking about how to make people fear you. You've got the Scarecrow saying, I'm going to make Gotham succumb to their fear. And then... You know, Bruce Wayne is trying to overcome his fear so that he can, you know, enact his vengeance. Right. Right. So all three of those are sort of in sync and they're linked up. So the story is informing the character. The the theme is informing the story and the theme is and the character is reflecting on the theme. So those things all sort of like relate to to each other. So uh, that's why I use that that film. But for me, the character is the most important part. If you throw out the other two things, you're not going to have a great story. Uh, but you are going to have something that's more meaningful than if you throw out the character and keep the other two. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I agree. It's the same. Well, I agree and I don't agree uh, because of course it's all, that's opinion based. This is very opinion based question, but um, uh, for me, books and movies, there are some movies I've absolutely hated, hated story, hated theme, hated, but there's characters in those movies that I fucking adore. Mm-hmm. And I go, man, if they were only in a different setting or a different movie. So, so, but I, I kind of agree that overall, if I can't get behind a character in a book, even if it's not the main character, if there's not somebody who brings me in, like I fucking love Lord of the Rings. I love the nuances. I love the language. I love that Tolkien loved the written words so much, but Fucking Frodo's a bit of a fucking drag all the time, man. And his best friend is an even bigger drag who just cooks all the time. So if it wasn't for for fucking Gimli of uh, Son of Gloin, if it wasn't for fucking Legolas, if it wasn't for fucking Merry and Pippin, really, if it wasn't for Merry and Pippin, like, and like, because of how Tolkien wrote, you had to get, you had to trog through some fucking chunky, chunky storyline to get back to Merry and Pippin smoking weed and fucking taking down Sauron. So. Like that's I I dig it so even th- that's my favorite book and even that I'm like some of this ain't great dog <laughs> like it's got I'll take that back it's all great it's just some of it is a fucking trog to get through mm-hmm. mostly because I wasn't interested in I mean I don't some of that shit I didn't care about but I'm just saying overall so I agree that I think character for me too is absolutely especially if it's I'm creating it because every character is a reflection of yourself or if you're Ryan and you're a big fucking narcissist both characters are about <laughs> yourself. <laughs> well the character uh that this isn't a spoiler uh, it's in the very first line of the book but the character that's the best of me you know he's dead so yeah. there you go <laughs> <laughs> which is why ryan we're all here i wish i had an intervention button and like all of your family and friends popped up, which is why we want to talk to you uh so so that being said like you talked about nolan but is there an author like uh, uh, anyone who who really like fucking gives you an old the old 
uh, uh, written word chubby, if you will. The old uh, there's so many literary chubby. Yeah, so let's so. break it down to like one. Okay. <laughs> no, this how about a, this? this? This is I'll a do tough you, one. I'll do you one I have better. A lot of favorite authors. What? Let's let's do this. What are the author or book it is the one that you would credit with going? Fuck! I could. I want it. This is what I want to do. Because musician, oh, fine. <laughs> you know what you do for a living, fine. Even being a dad, fine. You were great at everything you do. But when you talk about writing and you do write and you like you are a writer at heart, like there's not a doubt in my mind, that's what you're you are from start to finish. So I think it's fun to know what like was the one thing that made you go, oh, fuck, this is something that people just can do. Yeah. Well, uh, OK, that's that's still that's a tough. Is one. that a lot? Was it, uh, okay. it depends on. No, it depends on uh, what era of my life you're talking about. So basically, uh, when I was a kid. I read a book uh, called Sphere by Michael Crichton. Yeah. I mean, I was probably seventh grade when I read this book and just completely blown away. I was like, holy shit, you can do this in a book? You know, and I was just like <laughs> amazed. Um, but then when I was older, so when I was in my 20s, I read uh, a story called Cathedral by an author named uh, Raymond Carver. He writes mainly short fiction. And I read that and I said... It, it wasn't one of those things of like, man, this is great because it is a great story. It's a short story. But when I read it, I said, I see how this works now. Like, I, I get it now. It's like, you know, to use music, it's like, oh, if you put this chord and this chord together, it makes that sound. And like, yeah. like it, it, I, I figured it out. And then uh, um, when I was sort of after, I won't get too bitch in the weeds here, but after grad You're school, good. I really sort of... Uh, I hated books. I hated reading and I hated <laughs> anything to do with everything. Yeah. Uh, after grad school, I won't connect the dots there, but maybe our listeners can. But anyway, I read a book uh, called uh, The Magicians, which is actually a TV show now uh, by a guy named Lev Grossman. And I read that book and I was like, oh, yeah, I like this. I like reading these books. This is cool. Right. So I, yeah. I get it. Uh, and then some of my other favorite authors are um, uh, a guy named Donald Ray Pollock, who I actually got to meet in person. Uh, he writes sort of like Appalachian Gothic stuff that just blows your mind. Um, and then similarly, I'm reading a book right now by one of my favorite authors who I'm just realizing is one of my favorite authors because everything that I've read of hers is just uh, mind-blowingly good, which is uh, an author named Tiffany McDaniel. Uh, both Donald Ray Pollock and Tiffany McDaniel are Ohio-based writers, too. Oh. They write sort of... Heart of it stuff. all, baby. Heart of it all. Now, if you ask me, what do I want to most do? <laughs> that's, a, that's a harder question, because the book that, I, that you have, that you're yep. reading, is not what I ever envisioned the book that I would write, right? The book that yep. I thought that I would write would be some sort of genre thing like science fiction or fantasy or something like that. And the book that you have is none of those things. Well, it's a right? genre thing. It's just not the genre yeah. you expected. Right. Uh, exactly. So um, what I, what I'm working on now um, while I'm still, you know, shopping around this book uh, that you've got, what I'm working on now is my, my, my fantasy adventure epic series, which uh, if you've read, and I know you have them because I bought them for you as a birthday present or a Christmas present. Uh, Joe Abercrombie wrote. Oh yeah, the, the whole yeah, yeah, yeah. I made and it that, through. I made it through the first book, and then we had a baby. Yeah, 
And when I read why, the, when I read those, I was like, "This, I want to write like this. I want to write like this kind of stuff." So, like, yeah, yeah. And I like it. it. There's yeah. epic music that plays in my head. That and you gave me another book. Oh, um, the Dean Koontz book, I think, the Pirate Latitudes. That's Michael Crichton. Or Michael Crichton, sorry. Yeah. And, and that one too also had a very good like their moments. They both those people, I will say, Michael Crichton especially, is so very good at fucking writing action moments. Mm-hmm. And yeah. very few authors are good at writing at like they can they're descriptive, but there's a difference between writing good action and being descriptive about the things that are happening in the world. And Michael Crichton in, in that and it might be because I love pirates and I'm all, like I, even a dopey pirate story. I'm like, Ooh, pirates. So <laughs> but Michael Crichton, yeah, I mean, fucking Jurassic Park. It's just it was good action. Mm-hmm. So I, I just enjoy that. And the same with um, the same with that. The first book was was just, I enjoy a good, like, I don't know. I like my uh, Stephen King and Anne Rice because they, they could spend a chapter describing like the cobblestones of something, like a walk up to a house. And sometimes I really want to get involved in that. And other times I just want somebody to get smashed in the face with a fucking candelabra for no reason. <laughs> and wax go flying everywhere. So yeah, like, that's they, always but fun. They're unless it's you. Unless it's me. I don't want wax flying. I don't want to be in any fights. I can run away. <laughs> that's my new thing. I just watched a self-defense guy on TikTok. I think he was talking to Joe Rogan, who I despise Joe Rogan's personal character, but he interviews so fucking well. I enjoy it. But he was talking to like this ex Navy SEAL who teaches self-defense. And he goes, what do you do if somebody tries to fight you? He goes, he goes, is he bigger than me or smaller than me? And Joe Rogan goes, let's just say he's bigger than you because I run away. Yeah. And he goes, what if he's the smaller guy? He goes, Oh yeah, I run away. I don't know if you have a gun. What if I push you, you hit your head. If my feet work, I'm leaving situation handled. And Joe goes, what if he calls you a pussy? He goes, well, he's going to call me a pussy on my back because I'm going to be running away. Because <laughs> I'm running away, yeah. that's the best, the absolute yeah. best defense is to remove yourself from a situation where you could get hurt or somebody else could get hurt. And I went, fucking A, what a... Yeah. And that dude probably killed more people than he is alive. Yeah, what's the best way to not get in a car accident? Don't drive. Don't drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so you answered question 10 with what you're working on next. And you don't have to, to get into it. But I thought that these this question here... um. Uh, there's one about what you could change about your book, but I don't like backpedaling because I I feel like if you, that means you're uncertain about what you've, what you've painted, written, created, never go back. Once you're like, I just, again, TikTok, I fucking adore TikTok. What a great just clip of time. But uh, I think Conan O'Brien was interviewing Jack White and Jack White is, is famously a, a, a phenomenal magi- magician, musician, him and his he sister. He might be a good magician. He too. might be. But he also, that dude fucking loves music. If you've ever gotten into like learning about Jack White at all, he fucking adores music. And he was asked about his Seven Nations Army, which is bum, 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 yeah, bum, yeah. bum, bum, bum. Now, we all, I knew it when the White Stripes first came out because I worked with two idiots. Chanted that listened in soccer to that. stadiums but, everywhere. So here's what he said is he said that has taken, a mind, taken on a, a mind of its own. And Conan said, now, does that make you upset? And Jack White went, no, because I finished it and I released it. And whatever happens to it past there, I don't control. Yeah. And he goes, there are people who who can do that to, bam, 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 to my face, and they have no idea that it's me. And Conan goes, well, that doesn't that make you sad? And he goes, no, because that's art, man. That took on a fucking shape. So like backpedaling and saying, this is what I would have changed about Seven Nation Army is bullshit, because once you do it, it's done. And then yeah. whatever happens, you can't, you could always go, man, I kind of wish I wouldn't have killed that part of myself so early in the book. but you did and it's done <laughs> it was so, dead before i ever wrote a word <laughs> but no the uh the i, I guess uh, to, to go out on with that like 
I don't think I can really answer that about what you have because what you have is a manuscript, right? Yeah. So until until I publish it either traditionally or independently, like it's not a book. It's yet. already a draft. It's just yeah, a draft. It's, it's a, so uh, there's plenty of things I might change about it still. I should have told AI that you have yet to get an editor to get this published and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah. so if, if you had said that to the AI, the AI would have been like, well, I'll edit it for you. Oh my God. He would, would you, too. Would that you like a talking would... dog? <laughs> Probably. I don't, but I kind of want to see I what you would do. I can change all the characters with to talking, the talking dog. Turns out, <laughs> turns out the dead guy's a zombie like Weekend at Bernie's. And you're like, I didn't think that, but it's awesome. Oh, man. Let's I do didn't it. see it coming. Okay, so instead, crazy of robots. The, instead of the 10, which was what's next for you, this one I thought was really, really good because this, I think, is every creative person's fucking nightmare. And how do you personally deal with negative or, or negative criticism, negative critique, or just critique in general? Like, even from yourself, what do you do to, like, how do you take it, first of all, I think is the most important okay. question. Uh, well, on the surface, I say, fuck them. <clears throat> fuck right? them in the ear and yeah, the other I don't care. Ear. Like if I didn't, you know, plenty of efficiency. If you don't like it, like it is not my job to convince you why you should like it. Like just move on, find something that you do like. And there you go. And I, and I do believe that. I agree. Uh, thousand but, percent. but in inside, it just, it kills me. It like, it's it? just, it's just arrows in the heart, man. Like, like when, when, <laughs> when, uh, Oh man, maybe I shouldn't confess this, but uh, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, uh, did he, he read through the draft and he gave me very good feedback on the draft. Yes, uh, nothing like super critical or harsh or anything like that. But it was it was feedback. It was exactly what I asked for, and he gave me the feedback. And then I spent the next three days uh, asking my wife to convince me why I should ever write another word again. So. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's no good. But it's not, I, I mean, there was not a single word in that feedback of this doesn't work or this, I don't like this. Or it was all like, hey, maybe reword this. Or, hey, I think you mis mixed up the pronoun with this character and that character. Or I forgot who was talking here. Like very like basic feedback. But it yeah. was just like, you know, it was just, <laughs> it, it was tough. So, um, but, but that's part of it. That that's part of what I was talking about earlier, which is like, you know, who's ever going to care? Yeah. And it's just something that I feel like creative people just are always going to have and are always going to deal with it. I know there's a word I've I've avoided it. There's but there's a, a word it's pretty trendy of like imposter syndrome. But I don't yeah, I don't think it's imposter syndrome because I think imposter syndrome is something else. Imposter syndrome is when you say, um, it's only a matter of time until they find out that I'm a fraud, right? Yeah. That's imposter syndrome. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying like, I know that I can do this thing that I'm wanting to do, or I can do it to the best of my ability and the best of my efforts. I just don't think anyone will care once I yeah. do it. And that's not exactly imposter syndrome. So like that, you know, that's what I'm, I'm talking about. And, and <clears throat> the, the criticism, the critiques, that's part of it. Um, you know, it's funny, this band that I was playing with, um, when we were kids, uh, there was a guy, I don't even remember his name. Uh, I remember his first name because it's in the song, but uh, he hated us. Like, he hated <laughs> us for some reason. Like, not, like, not us individually, but the, the band, band itself. 
And I forget how it got through to us, but he was at a party or something and he just went on a rant. I think actually he published something in the like the school paper about how awful we were. <laughs> right. So we wrote his I name. I wish I knew who this was. His Do name. You was? might know him. I don't know. His name was Dan. Right. Dan. I, I mean, we had the song. Kevin was a wanker, but yeah, I know. Who, I know who that is. But there was. Yeah. And, and <laughs> also, I wrote a song. Still is that fuck. Anyway. Yeah. I wrote a song. <laughs> called the ballad of the band that pissed off dirty dan, dan. yeah and dirty yeah i like i don't even remember why he hated us but the reason i wrote that song i wish i remembered that I smashed is because him in the even face. though i didn't <laughs> care about that dude i didn't like that dude i didn't want that dude's opinion to hear him go on a rant about how he hated us that got to me so the way i dealt with it was i wrote a song about it so. yeah yeah exactly and the chorus of the song was fuck the muckers fuck the muckers fuck the muckers they fucking suck so there you go that's amazing. <laughs> also, it's a good song. Uh, so I'm I'm weirdly, and, and this probably won't come as a, a shock to you, I'm weirdly of, of the design that I don't believe in constructive criticism. Because constructive criticism is telling something what they're doing artistically is wrong. Now, criticism is not you misrepresented this character with a, the wrong pronoun or this area. I didn't understand who was talking. Yeah. That's not criticism. That's somebody basically checking your work which is what you want friends to do it's just feedback it's proofreading uh so as far as i'm concerned criticism like there's a lot on tiktok of people who are like you shouldn't paint like this you have to do it like this you have to write like this there is no right way to do anything creatively and i'm of sound mind that criticism people telling you that the arm looks weird or that this and that then you go all right go look at picasso go look at van gogh go look at any one of these artists who didn't do anything traditionally who are famous, who are hanging in, and I'm not saying that's the pinnacle, but what I'm saying is they will live on forever. They are legendary. This planet may burn out. We may move to different fucking planets. That human race may be gone. Eventually data will be found and Picasso will come back. They will be here forever. So, and that's not a goal of any artist to try to be the next great remembered thing. But what I'm saying is people told them they did wrong. The, the guitar man in blue was proportionally wrong. His head was too big. His neck was too long. He was folded weird. One of Picasso, one of my favorite Picasso paintings ever. So, so I don't believe in criticism. I don't believe in somebody telling you the way you're doing something is wrong. Now, that being said, them telling you that what you're doing is wrong can affect you and, and affects literally every creative person because you don't, yeah, I don't need somebody to fucking kiss my ass about everything I do, but I also don't need somebody to go, well, it's good, but because, and I, I will always live by the words of fucking Eddard Stark, everything before the butt is horseshit. So if somebody tells you they absolutely love their shit and they're sucking your dick and they're kissing your ass, they fucking love it. But if only this character, then that's when you stop, you hit the pause button and you go, okay, you fucking write the book. And yeah. you don't have to say it in a shitty way. I tell people constantly, I don't know how to, as a matter of fact, I just told a kid uh, actually, uh, uh, Joffrey mailman, McMailman's cousin. <laughs> I just told him, he goes, well, my girlfriend's a paint. Like she was, I was tattooing him. His girlfriend was there. He's a painter. She's painted all through school and she's got him painting. And he goes, I fucking suck at it. And I go, no, you don't. You just haven't tried it. You know? Su-. And then he showed me his painting and it, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad though. It was like a skull with like, like glitched out. I knew exactly what the fuck it was. And I go, it's not the point. The point isn't to do good. That's not what creativity is. It has zero to fucking do with creativity. <clears throat> it has everything to do with just doing. Just mind-numbingly doing something. That makes you feel better. And so paint and do all that. But what you don't do is let somebody tell you your fucking glitched out skull is wrong. Because it's not wrong. Because mm-hmm. you made it. 
You didn't replicate it. You didn't look at a glitchy picture of a skull and try to do that exactly. You tried to make a skull that was glitchy. So, so I don't believe in critiques or criticism or anything like that. I don't want it. I don't need it. I, I post shit on the internet all the time. And if somebody says, well, that looks wacky, I go, well, then you fucking do it. And they go, no, no, no. And I go, no, I'm not being shitty. I mean, you go paint. Fucking do it yourself. But when you do, I want you to fucking swing that pendulum towards yourself because it's very important. And I think you could back me up as a writer and as a musician, as somebody who strives to be creative all the time. It is so very hard to look at your work and be honest with yourself. But when you can do that is when you could fucking pump out a book when you're in fucking high school, when you could write multiple novels and keep doing it no matter what happens. You know what I mean? Mm. I've never sold a painting for $1,000. You know what I mean? I'm happy if somebody buys a $10 print of my paintings and it just goes on a pile somewhere. I'm fucking ecstatic. So, and that's where you gotta be. You don't do it for fucking anybody else. Never. That's the big thing. Is criticism only matters when you're doing it for everyone else. Mm. And that's hard because you want, like Ryan wants people to like his fucking book. And so far his book is fucking good and people will like it. It's just, what what we've what we've come to when people say this all the time is 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 people think that hobbies should be hot side hustles. Yeah. That's where we're at right now. People think that if you paint, well, how much do you make off of it? Oh, I don't make anything. What do you mean? No, I just paint. I just paint pictures. Yeah, just, that's the, all I do. As though some as though creative practices only have value if you can put dollars to them. Because we live in a society where art is no longer valued as a working class thing. Now in all, all of human history, art has been the upper echelon. Everyone has looked to artists, not just artists, but creatives. Stonemasons, look at the fucking, look at the, the pyramids, look at the fucking Colosseums. Look, you know what I mean? Look at these giant sculptures, David, all of the, you know, uh, 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 um, um, I'm just trying to think of another grandiose fucking, like even the Statue of Liberty. Like, look at these grandiose, giant, fucking amazing things that that human beings have constructed. And in, in history, all of the people who did those things were held in the highest of regard. You know what I mean? Beethoven only was allowed to make the amazing music he made because fucking people paid him to teach them how or their kids how to. Do. So like while Beethoven is, is writing the fucking Fifth Symphony, he also has to teach the fucking Prince of Austria how to fucking play chords on a, on a harpsichord. But but that's what it was. He only got that because he was a creative, which was considered like a trade. It was a nor and now we are not there anymore because somebody went, nah, that's not, we don't, we don't find art unless you can sell it and prioritize it as a capitalistic structure. It can't be a thing. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you it's that that fucking making money off your paintings or your art or now don't get me wrong. Ryan doesn't want to publish because he thinks he's going to be the fucking next Michael Crichton. Ryan wants to get published so that people have access to his book. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like, um, the, that, I mean, you said it, you already said it, but basically like I'm making the thing because I think it's a story worth telling. I don't think anybody else is going to tell the story, but me, I think that, uh, you know, if it, if it brings somebody the amount of joy that some of my favorite stories have brought me in my life, that's the value in doing it. Now I have to publish the thing. I have to record the thing. I have to release the thing so that it has the opportunity to do that for other people. You know, as a musician, you have to go and you have to perform. Yeah, like, you know, with the Pub Uglies, like the first time you guys on were Spotify like, and Apple Music. Yeah, that's true. You guys, <laughs> we you need guys our point, like point zero one 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 percent money from each listen. 
Or, you know, you guys were like, hey, uh, I was looking to I hadn't played live music in a long time. And you guys were like, hey, you should you should come over. We're doing Irish folk music. And now I was sort of vaguely familiar with Irish folk music. And you guys, when I showed up, you and Joey were like, here are, you know, here's a stack of CDs. Go tell us what you like about these. And I remember, like, I listened to the Dubliners Ultimate Collection, that CD. And it also, literally, that CD is fire if you guys haven't listened. It's that, hands that, down one of the best fucking recordings ever. It changed my life. Like, it literally changed the trajectory of my life. Because when I heard that, I was like, just like when I when I read the one of the first stories or heard the first punk rock album, you know, when I heard Bad Religion for the first time, I was like, oh, you can do this with music. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know you could do this. With uh, up to this point, and, it was the Ghostbusters theme and Uptown Girl. <laughs> I didn't know you could fucking. But then the Dubliners, I mean, you had a bunch of bearded dudes with acoustic instruments playing some of the most, to my ears, punk rock shit I've punk ever heard in my life. Shit. And it sounded good. And it sounded like the stories they were telling, they were telling stories with songs in a way that I had never heard or never knew you could do. And I was just like, just completely blown away. And then for us with the pub uglies, like, you know, like when we go and we play, like I was trying to recreate that feeling that I had for other people, other people that were listening. Yeah. And I think we did, you know, I think we yeah. did. And you know, that this, you know, punk rock bands that I played in, like trying to recreate that feeling I had when I listened to punk rock music and the books that I'm writing and the, the, the stories that I want to tell, like trying to recreate that feeling that I had now to do that, I have to get it out in the world. But like to your point, once it's out in the world, it's not mine anymore. Nope. That's you know? the thing. Like, and what's funny, Collins, is I'm glad you said that because, and I know we're already in an hour. I don't know if you have, I literally have until almost four or almost three because I got to pick up the kids then. So got oodle time. But that's funny because uh, the very first thing that we were supposed to get to, because that, that, that 10 minute, that 10 minute or that 10 question thing was only supposed to last about 20 minutes, but I don't know why in my brain, I thought the two of us could get through 10 fucking questions in like 20 minutes. I don't, I really did. I was like, Oh, we'll just pound through these 10 questions, but we're both idiots. And we both, dig not only do I digress, but we both are so long winded. We're like, well, I have a lot to share about. Like, it's so funny that in my <laughs> let brain, me tell I went, you. let me fucking tell We got 10 questions in an hour. <laughs> And, and what's funny is I'm trying to do this with people I don't know. And I know you and I'm still like, this guy can, I love it. He's getting into some stuff. <laughs> like, it's so stupid. Anyway, so the first thing I have in the, in, in our, like the, what was supposed to be the bulk of the podcast today was I just wrote nostalgia and gatekeeping. Mm. Because I think this is a very, very important topic, which you were about to touch on just a little bit right at the end of your session. So, well, uh, well, here, I let mean, me bring up, let me say why I brought this up, because I watched the trailer and then I made the mistake, Ryan, do you know what mistake I made on Facebook after I watched the trailer? You said, oh, this looks good. And then I checked the comments. The comments, yeah. And for fuck's sake, man, the first off, it's weird the amount of people who have like very Afrocentric sounding names and not like, not like African-American names, but like, like Ungatu, Umbatoba. Who say very Caucasian, like white thing, white guy yeah, in a weird. truck kind of thing. It's very weird how much that happens yeah. on those things. But the fact of the matter that there are people who have couldn't have possibly seen History of the World Part Two, the series yet, who fucking hate it. Hate who it. Hate it. So much so that they're never going to fucking watch a Mel Brooks movie again. Ever. And Not even the what? ones they like. 
at the end of Mel Brooks's trailer, he goes, or don't watch it. They already paid me. And then he laughs and it's the end of the fucking thing. And he's right. It's just like JK Rowling. It's just like fucking Stephen King. Like him or not, they got paid. It's done. No amount of bitching or gatekeeping or telling people how it should be done is going to change it. And Ryan and I fall into a sect of people called sci-fi nerds. Uh, two different. So, well, Ryan, me and Ryan, but listen, I like Star Trek, not as much as Star Wars, but Ryan knows I really deep down love some Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, and it's a full confession. It's a full confession. Sorry, I'm there. Now, not the good Star Trek that people really like, like Next Gen. Or I do like, listen, I watched, I've been, I'm like three seasons deep so into you're trying to hedge Next Gen. Now. So, <laughs> uh, so, but, but uh, sci fi nerds and comic book nerds have the most toxic fan base mm. in all of the world. So, talk about gatekeeping. These these two especially seem to be the worst for it online. So much so that like people have quit. Like actresses, uh, will talk, like Rose from Star Wars has just quit altogether stuff because she went, "What the fuck, dude? I just wanted to be on TV on a movie, and it's Star Wars. Yeah. Who would say no?" And I was on a movie. Like, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, it's funny that you say that because uh, two new shows just debuted recently, um, or I guess nerd news. Um, so it just came out not too long ago that Star Trek Discovery yeah. is this this is the final the, the season coming out now is the final season and uh so many people were upset that Star Trek Discovery existed in the first place and now there's <laughs> lots of people saying things like good riddance to bad rubbish and stuff like that because the show is going off there. Now I want you to I want you to 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 explore that. Let's flesh this out here. Yeah. Star Trek fans <laughs> are celebrating that a Star Trek series, a flagship series of the CBS All Access slash Paramount Plus network is ending. Yeah. Like the, we are getting less of the thing that we like and good for us. Yeah. Right. Makes no sense to me at all. Even if you don't watch it or don't like the show. If a Star Trek show is successful and you like Star Trek, then that is good. If a Star Trek show is not successful and you don't like Star Trek or you like Star Trek, that is not good for your favorite franchise, no matter what you may think about it. So it's like, you know, I, I will never understand like the Star Wars fans, the Star Trek fans, the sci-fi fans, the comic book fans that like when Black Adam was coming out or when Wonder Woman 84 was coming out and they were like, this looks dumb. This trailer looks dumb. I hope it fails. Yeah. I do not understand that. Say you don't want to go and watch it, but if you like comic book movies and you like comic book properties, you should want them all to be very successful so that maybe someday your favorite property or character or whoever will be brought to screen. If you don't like Star Trek Discovery, then that's fine. Don't yeah. watch it. But if Star Trek Discovery is very successful, guess what you get? You get Picard, you get Strange New Worlds, you get all these other shows that are coming up that are going to be in uh, in the Star Trek world, and you get more of the thing that you like, even if you don't like the particular thing that's that's, that's yeah. successful. Turn your TV off. Don't try to turn other people's TVs yeah. off because that that's is, what that's all that is. That's a thousand percent all that. Is. And I always like this the the uh, I like to use the term the standard bearer. Like you yeah. don't have to be the standard bearer for Star Trek Discovery. But you gotta wave the fucking Star Trek flag. So mm. you don't have to agree with the battle, but you gotta agree with the war. If you're a if you're a real fan and not a fucking and that sounds like gatekeeping, what I'm saying is if you're only a fan so you can shit on the stuff they're doing, 
you're not really, a, you're just a negative person who's a fan of shitting on things. And if yeah. that's your fucking yum, go yum it up. But do it quietly in your fucking house. Like ran at the TV and throw empty beer cans at it. Don't fucking get online and do it. <laughs> Because nobody gives a fuck. Don't, That's what you want is like 10 other angry the trolls. failure of your thing, you know? Yeah. You don't have to carry the stand. And, and it, listen, in battle, there used to be a guy that just, his job was just to carry the flag of the battalion he was with. Sometimes they would also like raise the infantry flag or they were called a standard bearer. Standard is a giant pole with a flag on it. So a standard bearer was always next in line to the infantry. He was always in the middle of the battle. So you don't have to be on the hill. But you got to be the gentleman in the back going, you guys are doing okay. I don't like it, but cool, <laughs> man. Something will come my way that I like. That's where you have to be. Like, that's what I want is I want no, you don't have to be, that's that's it. I want criticism and critique gone. I, listen, fuck, what are, what are their names? Thumbs up, thumbs up. Siskel and Ebert? Yeah. Fuck them. I used to live by Leonard Malton. I Ebert hated his opinions. Roper, because one of them's dead. Yeah, fuck them all. Like, I don't give a <laughs> shit. Like, and not that, like, I'm sad they're dead. I know he had jaw surgery and like cancer and all that stuff. I, I'm not saying fuck them personally. What I'm saying is they made a career off of shitting on other people's creative processes. And guess what? All of those, all of their eloquently written bullshit diatribes could have been summed up with, I didn't really care for it. This movie I did. So what happened was instead of just saying, I didn't like it moving on, they realized that people needed to have that negative serotonin because some people need to have other people agree that they dislike something. Yeah. That's why Siskel and Ebert happened that. And listen, I used to, I used to walk out of movies going like, I'll never stand by the Wolverine story ever, ever. I'll never do it. I'm glad Hugh Jackman's in the new Deadpool so that we can see Hugh Jackman and Deadpool together properly. Uh, uh, that's what I'm excited about. So, but like, I, at this point in my life, I, I will never critique anyone ever again. I will not shit on a movie unless it's Christopher Nolan's movies. I will never, <laughs> but, but listen, I've never told anybody not to watch a Christopher Nolan movie. I don't hate Christopher Nolan's movies. I hate what he does to the, to the ideas of the movies he makes. Like his no. regular movies are fine. Like inception is fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not Batman. Like, it's not changing the fundamentals of a comic book movie. That's my problem with Christopher Nolan. Anyway, I don't believe that criticism or critique has a world in the creative arts at all. Now, that being said, you're more than welcome not to like fucking any. You don't have to like a thing about anything. You don't like any of it. Like me, I don't like Christopher Nolan's movies. I'll still see the new movies when they come to fucking. I'm not going to go out and pay for them, but I'll watch them when they come on a streaming thing. You know, it reminds me of uh, I heard a maybe I brought it up already, but I heard a. Um, an interview with Christopher Nolan about uh, the, it was a, a good video by Vox where they were talking about like, why is it so hard to understand? Why does everybody have subtitles on? I believe is the, the, the title of the video. Yeah. Like why, why is everybody using the subtitles? And it went into like, you know, improvements in technology and stuff like that, that uh, in the way that actors are performing and all that is more natural. So sometimes it's hard to understand what people are saying. And then they brought up your favorite director and mine, Christopher Nolan, and they were like, he has been largely criticized for his movie, the dialogue in his movies being unintelligible. And he was asked about that. And when when I read his response, I was like, I got to tell this to Doug because uh, he you said, have not told me because it's going to make I can I'm, my fucking blood is already boiling. I'm just going to tell you. I'm, I'm, so I'm, mad I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing here. But he said. That's good because we wanted to ensure that our movies would not be watchable on substandard systems. 
I mean, the <laughs> fucking balls on this prick, dude. <laughs> fucking balls on this asshole, man. That's what the fuck. You should have seen. Our, our listeners could not see what just happened to your face when I said that. Fuck, like that's <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So here's what it is. So here's here's what I'm gonna. This is my take on Christopher Nolan and and those like him, like Rush and all these, all this. Like this Rush. is what I take. Oh my god, yeah, Rush gonna, is coming gonna, back. Fucking, <laughs> Rush is always there, never gone. Uh, I don't even hate Rush that much. I just think it's funny. Um, so here's the problem is, and I'm gonna say this, and it, it's gonna sound like a, a total bashing of Christopher Nolan. I think that Christopher Nolan is an executive director and not a creative director. I don't think Christopher Nolan is creative in the slightest. Do you know how I know? Because he says things like, yeah, because our movies shouldn't be seen on substance. Now, what he's saying is, <laughs> if you have four kids and a wife and dogs at home, so six people in my house, so let's say me and you want to take our family, and I go, Ryan, I'll treat your family to a movie. What that means is Ryan Collins' family, four people, Doug Paxton's family, that's six people. So we have 10 people on average at 20 bucks a piece, ticket, soda, popcorn at you 20 yeah, you don't, fucking you don't dollars deserve. a piece, which means that for three hours, I have to pay $200. And guess what? I'm not rich. I'm not bad off. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a normal lower middle class person. $200 for a three hour night out is something I would never, ever, ever fucking out do unless reach. it was like on yeah. vacation. It is out of reach. And that is where Christopher Nolan and his ilk in Hollywood and in the book scene and in the comic book scene are, is they believe what they do is above the norm. Mm -hmm. They believe that they are, their level of craft is this and all the, all us fucking troglodytes barely deserve to know if the top fell or if it didn't fall. You are the top fell up your fucking ass, Christopher Nolan. You know what a <laughs> substandard system is? The way you get paid more than every actor in your fucking movie. The way you get paid more than everybody who does all they, the grip, the key grip, the best boy, every fucking gaffer and PA, every fucking person on your movie that makes a fraction of what you make <clears throat> to make your fucking movie look, well, dark and, and unintelligible. <laughs> That was another I'm glad video. you're paying a fucking the boom mic. Did. I'm glad you're fucking paying a boom mic guy to unintelligibly fucking record your dialogue. But what I'm saying is that's where we have a problem is we have artists who get here and then they believe they're here. Mm. And that's the problem because you're not because like I, I, we, I fall in such a duality where I, 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 I'm of sound mind that maybe sometimes we are not all unique and special snowflakes. And then I go, but sometimes we really are. <laughs> like I, I want everybody to, to just don't be entitled about what you do, because even if you do something really well, doesn't make you any specialer than anybody else. Now, the feeling you that the Jack White thing, Jack White going fucking dude, my art, something I did is literally sung by hundreds of thousands of people every day to in celebrate. the world to celebrate that is fucking art, man. And for Christopher Nolan, him going, he would be going, I can't believe these nope. fucking dirty, <laughs> scuzzy people who work hard all their life so they could take their kid sweaty to watch a guy soccer kick a ball. Fans. These fucking <laughs> sweaty fucks are listening. That's essentially what he's saying. If Jack White would have made that tournament, man, it grosses me out that that like at a football stadium, like the, the fucking Chargers fans are going, da, 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 da. It would blow my fucking, I would be like, I don't like Jack White even remotely because yeah. that is so gross to me. But that's essentially what Christopher <laughs> Nolan is saying. 
is he's elite. He is the bourgeois or the bourgeois. What is it, the bourgeois? Is it the bourgeois? It's a bourgeois. bourgeois. He is. He is the royalty of filmmaking. But guess what? He's not. His Batman movie doesn't stand up to 89 Batman. Not for his whole trilogy doesn't stand up to the one Tim Burton movie. And guess what? I love that movie. It ain't that fucking good. It's better than the fucking Batman Begins bullshit. I'll tell you that from a comic book standpoint, at least he looked like the Joker. Well, Heath Ledger looked like the Joker, but at least like Batman felt like Batman and not some scrawny dude. Hockey pads. Listen, Chris, I'll tell you how elitist fucking Christopher Nolan is, is he essentially tagged no tights, no flights. That's what he fucking tagged. Well, really, that's Smallville's tag, but they at least did comic book shit justice. He did not do comic book justice because he believes that he's a storyteller above the medium Mm. of comic books. And that tells you all you have to know about that fucking dude. So, yeah, of course he would say substandard. We don't want our movies seen on stuff. What's substandard? I have a 60-inch television. I have a real, I have a fucking, like, my wife paid an exorbitant amount of money for me for Christmas to buy my fucking subwoofer, my sound bar, my, my fucking surround sound, wireless Bluetooth speakers. When I turn on fucking Star Wars, and I know you guys will hate this, but when they jump through and blow up fucking uh, 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 Snoke's ship, when that boom happens, my fucking neighbor's houses rattle. You know why? Because <laughs> it ain't substandard, you fucking dickhead. You but know what it is? If you can't understand his movies, you don't deserve to understand. Listen, I get Upgrade it. Upgrade your shit. I get it. I thousand percent get it. But that's Christopher Nolan going, I made this for people who can afford to go to the movie theater. That's where we're at with big with the older generation of Hollywood. What I'm saying is I've watched fucking three minute YouTube or TikTok movies where fucking five 14 year old kids made a pretty badass mini movie. And you know what they did it with a fucking cell phone. You know what they cut it on the same cell phone. You know what they recorded the dialogue on the fucking cell phone. And you know what they released it on a mass marketing free system that literally anybody can access. You know how many people have seen it? I don't know. Like 4 million people have viewed the video. 4 million people. It's fucking phenomenal. And what we have is people who are doing what those kids want to do Telling him what they're doing is substandard, is sub fucking part, and that is critique at its finest. That is criticism at, at the at the highest level of criticism. That's somebody going, "What you do is shit." Except for he's too much of a pussy to say what everybody's doing is shit, and he has to say it in a way of like, "Well, my movies about a guy that dresses like a bat can only be seen." And guess what, motherfucker? I've been in some gross ass, dirty movie theaters that had shitty sound, had horrible projectors, and the fucking screen was too small. That's where it has to be seen in a fucking dirty theater with babies coughing and teenagers kicking the back of my seat. That's where you want your art scene, Picasso painted, so that babies could be crying, and that fucking asshole in the corner will not get off his fucking cell phone. What a dick! God damn it, Ryan, you fucked me, dude. You did it on purpose, you asshole. Oh uh, yeah. Sort of. So anyway, uh, I guess don't gatekeep <laughs> is what we're getting at, guys. Yeah. So when I look at like reboots and stuff now, I, I, I and this will be the last topic we touch on because it, it is on my list. I was going to get in cartoons and shit because I think there's like this way we could get in this when we don't interview you for, for an hour. Um, <laughs> but so so there's a <laughs> don't laugh like that, you dickhead. Um, so so there's the, the 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 poker face thing, which which I think is a, a really good telling. But uh, the wife and I watched a movie yesterday mm-hmm. that not only was new and different and crazier than any movie I've ever watched and made me feel all sorts of way and made me realize that in my brain, I go, maybe there are, maybe there aren't a ton of, there's only so many archetype characters and there's only so many things that you can do. And I watched this movie and I went, fuck, 
Not only was I wrong, but there are people out there so creative that have figured out how to break out of that shell and that mold. But the wife and I sat down and watched and only two things recently have ever made me feel this way. The first one was Bo Burnham's comedy special called Inside, which I don't know if you've watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've watched a little oh, bit of that. And we, we've talked about it. I fuck, that made me feel a certain way. But this movie made me feel a certain way and, and gave me a weird renewed faith that I was wrong about where creatives stand in our world of too much shit to view. And that movie is everywhere, every, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Holy fucking shit, dude. That movie was so dumb and goofy and strange and beautiful and heartfelt and touching. It literally was everything every movie should strive to be like. All at once. And all at, and it's funny <laughs> you say that, but it literally is so fucking weird and so fucking crazy. And also just a story about a family and very heartfelt way about a mother and a daughter and a husband and a daughter. And like, it was one of the greatest motion pictures I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It was so, and it made me realize that I'm very wrong, that there are people who are doing creativity the right way. And listen, I'm a part of it. Half of my art is like fucking office jokes and fucking like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, so like I and maybe maybe I should try to strive to do unique instead of instead of instead of just pop culture shit and not saying there's anything wrong with it. I love all my art. I love the shit I do, but it made me go, fuck, dude, maybe being unique is a thing. Maybe there's still a call for it. And listen, it's winning all the fucking awards, man. It's winning every fu- I mean, it's winning Spirit Awards, SAG Awards, fucking Oscars t- next week, probably. And it is so fucking good. And Jamie Lee Curtis fucking killed it, dude. And Short Round is back. Short Round. Uh, Ken, Ken Huang, I think. Ken, Ken yeah. Huang. Uh, and, uh, and, and what's his name for fucking uh, uh, New Jack or uh, Little, Big Trouble Little China? It, he's the old Asian guy in every movie ever. Uh, Don, uh, Don, fuck, I can't remember his name either. Anyway, Don Rickles. He, he's fucking 95. No. And he's making, not only making movies, but he was, he was really fucking good. I didn't know Gong Gong was the uh, Chinese uh, name for a grandpa, but he plays grandpa. And I, and now I love, I want to have grandkids because I will make them fucking call me Gong Gong. (laughs) That's it. I want to be called Gong Gong or Pop Pop because of fucking. That's cultural appropriation. Uh, It's not because uh, I'm pretty sure I'm like but one tenth quarter. Hey, Chinese. you had the, didn't somebody just recently have the 23 and me thing done? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was Chinese. <laughs> no, <laughs> Austral Asia area. The Philippines is close enough. All I, the think. I didn't have any of that either. All yeah. the purples and risk is where <laughs> I come from. So uh, it's not, I come from the, the I'm like 99% fucking accent, uh, Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> so Take anyway, it. I was a little hoping you'd already seen it, but I really yeah, want I you and Katie to watch now the girl to watch it there's one moment where i was like fuck if that wasn't in there i could let the kids watch it but i don't want there's a there's there's a scene with wieners in that and i was like fuck dude but you're probably not talking about like the sausage kind well there is some sausage issue in that also but it's a whole different thing when you watch it you'll go oh that is some sausage stuff but there's a moment when a kung fu fight happens and the kung fu fight happens with what are essentially four foot long pink dildos. Oh, I see. And they're so well made. Like the veins are so <laughs> gross and they're so dick like that the whole time I was like, I'm not even, it's not even that they're 
their dildos. It's just that they're so grossly <laughs> throbbing heathen maples. <laughs> like there's so yeah. Uh, so so anyway, so I watched that and I went my existentially everything I do is incorrect because there is uniqueness in the world. And I think maybe as a, as a race, we need to stop with the critiques critiques and criticism and tell your kids to paint, make your kids act, let them try things. Even if they suck at it. And guess what? You don't have to tell them they suck at it. You just go, I like it, man. Keep trying. Even if chat GPT can do it better and faster. So anyway, we got literally 10% through my outline. That's awesome. I think we got another nine episodes. I really don't know why I believe that you and I could 10, 10 questionnaire. But also, I was interested in your idea, like what you're, uh, listen, I'm not. It would have been a better interview had you read the thing, but, you know, whatever. Listen, I read as much as any talk show host who has somebody out for three <laughs> minutes fucking watches or reads a book. You can't tell me that fucking Jimmy Fallon reads every book. He didn't read he Neil does. deGrasse Tyson's newest book on fucking I bet he does. Mo- molecular biology or whatever that dude writes. About. Astrophysics. He didn't write. No, he had he a did. fucking intern write it, read it, and then give him the fucking cliff notes. Which the intern just typed. Which, in if you're a real friend, GPT. you would just put your book in Chat GPT and go, oh "Can you cliff God. note this?" So I'd send it to Doug, and I'm like, "This book is dope. Maybe add some pictures. <laughs> Maybe add some pictures." Listen, here's where you're add, at. You're writing this weird. amazing. You're writing this amazing duality of man, death, uh, 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 detective novel shit. I'm fucking writing a kids book about fucking poems. <laughs> like that's what I. That's what my creativity's at right now. Well, why is that? Why is that on a different level? Uh, well, so here's what I do: is every morning I have my three kids who can who can come up with words. I'll have the baby do it eventually. I just go give me prompts, give me words, just pick words, whatever words you want to do. And so that's why, because like my like zebra was a word yesterday, so I had to write a poem about a zebra. It came out well. I used the word festooned. As a matter of fact, you would like the first line because I thought I'm going to read it to you because I thought it was very artsy. Like, uh, so in my book, cause I'm going to just release this on Amazon because you don't have to have an editor for kids books. As long as they don't have dirty shit in and approve, they get approved. You just put it on there. So that's what I'm going to do. But the, the only quote I'm going to have at the beginning of my book is going to be from Mitch Hedberg. And it's going to say any book is a children's book. If the kid can read. Right. Cause it's yeah, a fucking true. great. So I did this one with zebra and my goal sometimes is to make it to where when my kids read it. They have to ask me what those words mean. Uh, like Jet Prutluski wrote a book called Something Big Has Been Here, and it's a book of poetry. And there are two poems in there that every time I read them, I get goosebumps because they're one is called Four Vain and Ancient Tortoises Upon a Balmy Shore. L- listen, this one alone starts off Four a- Vain and Ancient Tortoises Upon a Balmy Shore are aimlessly debating who's the slowest of the four. It sums up every older generation in every history of America ever. It's just four old guys going, You're, you're not as slow as I am. I'm the fuck. They're debating over bullshit. It's a very long time. It's fucking phenomenal. I'm the slowest. It's great. So, but in it, they there's lots of big, huge words that are not children friendly. Kids would have to ask. And I, Jack Perlutsky, I think, did it on purpose. Shel Silverstein makes big words so that kids have to learn what big fucking words mean. I think it's important. So I always, whenever my kids do dumb ones, I try to hide shit in there. But the zebra one I was pretty happy with because I've always loved the word festoon. And to festoon is to drape things lovingly. Or not even love it. I think it's just to drape things in a, a dash or sash manner, I think. Way. Decorative yeah. way. So I've always loved the word festooned. Uh, it was used by uh, 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 Bill the Butcher in the Gangs of New York. He said, I will festoon my hallway with your intestine. And I went, fucking A, I know what festoon means. I'm putting that in a kid's book. 
So here's what there. Here's all I. This is the opening line: is black and white tiger stripes, festooned upon a horse, because it's straight. Like, and I went fucking hey, That's genius. And my kids read it, and they went, "I don't know what that means." And I go, "What well, to festoon? Look it up, kids." That's, that's a, <laughs> listen, we have dictionaries in every room in the house. So when my kids don't know a word, I go, "Well, look it up." And half the time, it's because I don't know what the word means. But I'm never going <laughs> to fucking admit to that ever to these kids. So. They'll figure it out. Anyway, I got to send these to you just so you can read them because you're interested. So anyway, go do your fucking look at me. Look at my fucking kids have nice teeth. Real nice, dude. Fucking bougie asshole. <laughs> well, I don't have nice teeth, so they might as well. Anyway, just to reiterate, Brian's my best friend and this is what he has to deal with his whole fucking life. So <laughs> there we are. That's why, you, that's why you're still melancholy. You volunteer for it. You I'm choose melancholy? my friendship. What? Who said that? Melancholy. You did. You said, oh, you essentially oh. just went, oh, you melancholy. I'm melancholy. the thing you said I was. <laughs> oh, wait, did you? Uh, so real quick in Scrubs there. Did you ever watch Scrubs? I never did. So there's a, the accountant who is the main doctor's like subordinate. His name is Ted and he's a fucking he's just a sad sack. And at one point, Carla, this nurse goes goes and then Ted's the sad sack. And he goes, and he has his hand on his head already because he hit his head on the table for some reason. And he goes, oh, I'm the sad sack. And he takes his palm of his hand off and his hand is covered in ink, which now he has a, a handprint. And he goes, oh, and then he looks down, and he opens his jacket because his pen has leaked into his fucking pocket. And he goes, oh, and he just walks off. And I, Ted is the amazing, he's a, he's a Faustian in, in the way that he is the saddest yeah. of sex. And you are not that. And but you funny. did just remind me of Ted. We are like, oh, <laughs> melancholy. You melancholy, melancholy. I love it. Anyway, I'm Doug. I'm Ryan. This has been Two Weeks From Everywhere. <laughs>